I'm Stefan Sittig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. If you've been enjoying the American Theatre Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theatre that we all love so much. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, many performers, designers, directors, choreographers, stage crew, and theater administration staff are either without a job or in peril of losing their jobs. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses, such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. Welcome back for part two of my interview with Tony Award winner Betty Buckley. In part one, Betty talked about growing up in Texas and how she first became interested in performing and musical theater and everything in her life that prepared her for and led up to her first big break in the musical 1776 on Broadway. In this week's episode, Betty shares her experiences working in film and TV, her Tony-winning role in Cats, and playing Margaret White in the cult musical Carrie on Broadway. She also talks about her passion for teaching, which she is now doing online through the T. Schreiber Studio in New York. So then you go back to, to New York. You're going back and forth to New York for voice lessons to continue. Your, right. You didn't want to lose your connection with the East yeah. Coast and with New York for you uh, because that's what you wanted. And then how did the Cats thing come about or was it something? Well, so right out of Eight is Enough, Eight is Enough was canceled and mm-hmm. literally after the fourth season and we heard about it. I was still in L.A. because I was doing Getting My Act Together and taking it on the road uh, at night you. and yeah. shooting Eight is Enough in mm-hmm. the daytime. And I did that for six months. So that tailed off after we finished shooting. I was still doing the performances at uh, of Getting My Act Together. And one day I got a call because of my work in Getting My Act Together from Fred Roos, who was one of the big producers for Francis Coppola and one of the major casting minds in Hollywood. They, everybody mm-hmm. thought he was the best. And he called me out of the blue <laughs> after he'd seen my performance in Getting Mac Together on my hiatus in New York. I'd done it in New York and then I did it for six months in L.A. too. And he said, Betty, I saw your performance in Getting My Together and I am, you know, in charge of casting for Coppola and I produced one of my favorite movies, The Black Stallion, and I was freaking out because he produced The Black Stallion. <laughs> and he said, he said, and I thought your work was so good, and I'm, you know, you're now on my list of actors, and these are the actors whose careers I've made. And then he gave me this list of these phenomenal mm-hmm. actors that I was a huge fan of, and he said, and now you're one of my actors, <laughs> and I will see to it that you work in film. And I was like, thank you, that's mm-hmm. great. You know, so that that was like 
a like, few months prior. And then mm-hmm. he called me one day. I lived at the Chateau Marmont Hotel mm-hmm. for years, all those years, because I was afraid to buy a house because then the mob would own me, you know. So I was like so, <laughs> so like anti, anti-Hollywood, anti anti Lorimar. And yes. so... So he called me, he says, Betty, I have a script called Tender Mercies written by the great American playwright Horton Foote and it's starring Robert Duvall and they mm. need a country western singer and they need someone who can really act, uh, you know, mm. an alcoholic country western singer. I'm sending you this script. You have an audition with Bruce Beresford. Go in and get the part. He says, I gave them one name. It's your part. Mm. And I was like, all right. So I go in. And I remember when I read that script, I cried again. I was like, oh, my God, this is like the kind of role that I've been studying to learn how to play. You know, this dramatic, intense character who could also sing. Mm -hmm. And so I was just thrilled. And I went in. It was the best audition I've ever had in my life. I went in. Bruce Beresford said, "Um, can you act? And I said, yes. And he said, can you sing? And I said, yes. (laughs) And he said, can you sing country western? And I said, yes. Mm -hmm. And do you want to do this part? And I said, yes. And he goes, well, it's yours. And I was like, oh my God. You know, it was like the best ever audition in my totally. life because I'd been so highly recommended by the wonderful Fred sure. Roos. And sure. I'm eternally grateful. Hmm. So, I mean, my whole career is about really wonderful, kind people opening doors for me, hmm. truly. And like when I won the Tony for Cats, the week before that, when mm-hmm. I was a nominee and we were heading to that, I ran into all these people that had been kind to me and opened doors for me. And I got to thank every one of them. You know, on the streets in New York, it was an amazing wow. synchronistic set of circumstances of running into people that I owed a debt of gratitude. Mm-hmm. And then that following weekend during the Tony Awards, you know, I won. And it was like, what? Mm. Anyway, amazing so I, did, I, shot, I shot that movie. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime... After I shot the movie, I was in New York, and um, and they were shot in Texas, in Waxahachie, Texas, which was where my aunt's dance studio had been, which was oh, kind of wow. cool. And full circle. So my my agent called and said, yeah. "There's a show, Cats, blah blah blah." And of course, we all knew about it in the musical mm-hmm. theater. We had the cast album, and um, I loved, loved, loved the score. It was beautiful, and of course, I loved Elaine Page's interpretation of memory and. Yeah. She goes, okay, they're doing the Broadway company and uh, we're sending you in for Grizabella, the cat who sings memory. And I'm like, okay, well, what's it about? You know, because all we had Mm -hmm. were the photographs from the cast album Mm -hmm. and the recordings, but we didn't really know anything more. And she goes, cats. And I'm I'm like, okay, (laughs) but what's the story? It's about cats, Betty. And I'm like, okay. So (laughs) she's like, they want you they want you to sing memory and I was like okay so I learned memory and I went in and I auditioned and they called my agent and they said no she's not right for the part she's tall and she radiates health and well-being and we need somebody small who radiates death and dying because Elaine Page was is very um she's she's you know uh, short short yeah she's (laughs) yeah she's you know she's a powerhouse but anyway the voice and so I was like Okay, and so I said to Joanna, my agent, who is British, and she was wonderful, and I said, Joanna, they'll be back. And she goes, Mm. oh, really? And I said, yeah, Mm. this is my part. And I just had this strong feeling that Mm. it was my turn because Mm. I had been studying 
so intensely, even during Eight is Enough, I'd been going to my dailies, Mm -hmm. studying what worked and what didn't work and figuring out why. And I'd been taking Stella Adler's classes, you know, in New York and in L.A. And I'd been practicing, practicing and learning as much as I could to become a really good, truthful, honest actor. And Mm. so, and I knew, I knew that, see, all my peer group, and everybody wanted this part. Everybody. It was in, on page six every day, mm-hmm. like the actors that wanted to do it. And even Cher wanted it at some point. <laughs> or, and that may have been just PR. I don't know. Right. But And then Lorna Left wanted it. And then it was the next day it was another name. and stuff. But anyway, of my peer group, of the singing actresses on Broadway mm-hmm. of my, my generation, each one of those women had had their moment where they got to demonstrate completely who they were as artists and while I had a lot of experience I had yet to have that moment as a dramatic storyteller singer actress and this job would give me that and Mm. I I was ready for it and Mm. I knew it and so I said to her they'll be back so six months went by Mm. and she called me again and she's I remember she called it like on a Tuesday or something she and she said all right they called they need to see you again for cats tomorrow and I was like okay I told you and I went in and I sang for them again and got the part and that was amazing and, and the rest uh, is work, history but I mean the, uh, working the, for Trevor Nunn was just uh, divine I, I mean I love that guy how much and Jillian Lynn who's just was is, is, was a goddess yeah and, and so, of course Andrew who's mm-hmm. brilliant and so yeah it was a blessing Wow. I mean, and that's something that, you know, was for most of us that had not seen, had been able to see the other work, you know, for me, for someone as a young person, Cats was one of the first shows I ever saw on Broadway together with a chorus line. And so you were instrumental in, in sort of uh, a lot, just like you felt watching Casa Manana, I felt watching you. Uh, and I felt watching, you know, the, the guy, the people dancing in a chorus line, both, both those shows were instrumental for my generation. So thank you. Right. Um, no, that show, that show is so, Cats is so special. It is. It's really forget to... way more than a show. It's like, to me, I would watch, you know, during rehearsals and stuff and then during the run. Because my part, you know, was really small. I kind of came and went, and I added it up at one point, and I was only really on stage for 13 minutes amazing. of a two-hour show. But you got the big but, song. Um, yeah. it, it, it was such an amazing show, but it's like a moving art piece, you know. Yes. It was like a kind of flowing, beautiful art piece in motion. Not, it was your, just traditional, not your traditional musical at all, really different. Yeah. Uh, so you talked very lovingly about the film, you know, Carrie and your experience with Brian De Palma. But let's talk a bit, if we can, about your experience in one of my favorite cult shows, Carrie, the musical version of, you know, the, uh, Carrie, the musical, uh, where mm-hmm. you were working on it in London, and then it, it came to Broadway. And you were recently on uh, Stars in the House with Seth Rudetsky, where you guys did a reunion of everyone on the show, which I thought was wonderful, the original cast. Can you talk a bit about that experience? It was such a, a cult favorite, and so few people have actually got to see the original production. Um, yeah. Uh, what was it like then playing, you know, Margaret and, and going and playing the mom? Well, you know, Dean Pitchford and uh, Larry Cohen and Michael Gore are friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Dean and I are close friends. He was my first Pippin. He was the standby for John Rubenstein. And mm-hmm. so I did all my rehearsals with Dean. Mm-hmm. And then some of my onstage performances when uh, Dean was covering for John. And so Dean was a young performer at that point and went on to write Fame, 
mm-hmm. and win the Oscar. Mm-hmm. And I was his date to the Oscars. <laughs> and um, we were, you know, really close friends. And so um, he and Larry Cohen wrote the screenplay of Carrie. And Michael Gore and Larry are partners. And so um, uh, they called me one day and said, we wrote the musical Carrie. And I, I rudely, but they were my friends. So, you know, I, I was teasing. Right. But I said, I said, why? And they were like, <laughs> oh, Betty, stop it. And it's they were question. like, good question to ask. it's like, no, it's a great dramatic piece. And I was like, a musical of mm-hmm. Carrie. You know, I didn't quite get it. And so they were like, we want you to play Margaret. And I'm like, oh, cool. You know, so, um, mm-hmm. They hadn't asked me to be a part of any workshops, which I kind of think is funny. Mm-hmm. And so then um, they wanted me to meet with Terry Hans, who was this, you know, the head of the RSC, the Royal Shakespeare Company in London. And they were, you know, we're going to do it in London at the RSC, and we want you to go and, and be Margaret. And so I met with Terry Hans, and I there was some animosity. There was something weird. Mm-hmm. He was like very uh confrontive to me in the in in the meeting with him hmm. and i you know i had my reservations about the project sure anyway and so um he challenged me because he was a friend of trevor nunn's and i made them insure me because they were flying me in cats and um mm-hmm. and it was good that i made them insure me because you know, sure enough, the machines did start breaking down over time. Mm. In fact, there was a massive, almost near-death accident that I almost got killed oh um, the night after that we won the Tonys because someone forgot to open the trap door. So the oh cherry gosh. picker crane just came through the ceiling and <sighs> oh the, the trap door, which was this massive eight foot by 11 piece of wood, came slamming down on the spot I was supposed to step. And it was terrifying. And while we were going up on the tire and Ken Page was holding me, I see this like dangling wood and you hear this like machine and this horrible roar and the cats are on the stage doing singing and the wood is falling down onto the stage and everybody's acting like this is all normal because, you know, the place was going crazy because we'd won like eight Tonys or something. And I saw my life literally passing in front of my eyes and, Ken, at the last conceivable moment, leaned down and whispered in my ear, and he says, are you going up there? Because you don't have to. And I said, no, I'm not. And he yeah. said, great. So he, he like, kind of helped me crouch down at mm-hmm. his feet, and then the, the, the tire recedes, and he sings the last song, and I kind of imitated the other cat's choreography like I knew what I was doing. Oh, and when I came off stage, I was freaking out. Mm. And... Um, so I anyway, I had this insurance policy because yeah. I was aware that it was dangerous. And <clears throat> so Terry Hans is like, I hear you're afraid to fly. And I said, uh, who told you that? No. I said, uh, yeah, I made them insure me if that's the problem. And he goes, well, you know, we're going to have all kinds of pyrotechnics and stuff like that. Are you afraid? And he was like, really like <laughs> that. And I was like, uh, I don't even know how to answer that. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> like I, school. you know, I got crushed by a basketball backboard in the film. I was going to say, did he not see the nobody film? Nobody tested that machine out either. And <laughs> did I came out Did he not see okay. the film, Betty? He should have looked at the movie. I know. Exactly. to you. And, and so it just was weird, and I didn't like it. You know what yeah, I mean? And you so got a weird vibe. Yeah. It wasn't like, yeah. And he, so I just felt like he didn't really want me to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So whatever it was, 
And so we started negotiating, and mm. uh, we had the same agent as the writers, uh, like Sam Cohen, who's this very famous agent. Mm -hmm. And so we were negotiating, negotiating, and we couldn't come to terms. And so I just said, Sam, let it go. I don't think they even want me there. I mean, I know the boys do, you know, the, the writers, but I don't think the director does. And, you know, mm. um, so let's let this go. So we let it go, and it went to Barbara Cook, and she opened it in London. I mean, at the Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford. Mm -hmm. And it got terrible reviews. It was savaged by the critics. Savaged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then I got, I was in L.A. doing something, and I got a call from Dean saying that uh, Barbara Cook wasn't going to come to Broadway with it, and they wanted to fly me to London to see the show because they really, really wanted me to do it. And I was like... Okay, and so they started negotiating again, and then they decided they weren't the. They had this German producer, mm. and he'd done some cats touring companies, mm. but that's it. And he had never produced a Broadway show, and so they decided no, it would be too expensive to fly me to London. So they sent me some video footage of the show, and I was like, oh, oh, okay. So then I I was pretty clear about what I needed to do with the show mm. because Barbara Cook sang it beautifully. I mean, beautiful. She's a beautiful, beautiful voice. You mm -hmm. know, she was this beautiful singer, but she, her, she was very stationary. Um, like mm -hmm. she just stood and sang basically. And I'm a, a very athletic performer. You know, I yes. think of it as a very athletic experience performing live in musical theater. And so I had this portrait of, a mother-daughter abusive relationship in mind mm -hmm. that I really wanted to be true to. So we negotiated again. We still couldn't come to terms. In, in a couple of days before they were supposed to start rehearsing on Broadway, Sam Cohen called me and he said, Betty, we're at this point, and the truth is if you turn it down, all these people are out of work. Can, will you go in? And I said, okay, Sam, I'll go in. And, uh, but what I need is like private time with Lindsay Haley, with mm -hmm. just the director and just the, um, the piano player. And I need time alone course, with yeah. the girl yes. to build this relationship. And he goes, we can give you that. And I'm like, okay. So I started rehearsals and we were just alone, Lindsay and me with, uh, the, with this wonderful, uh, Kristen Blodgett was our pianist and she's gone on to become one of the top top music directors on Broadway mm. and so we worked so closely together and did a lot of really improvisational work and so Lindsay was 17 wow. and this huge, hugely talented girl yes. and so this was like her Broadway debut and she had done you know Carrie in London so I was like and I was an acting coach at that point mm. you know and I said Lindsay you know I I want us to work very improvisationally here. I want us to be like totally spontaneous moment to moment work. This is the my aspiration, you know, to to bring that quality of intensity and passion to this piece. And I'm going to be rough. I'm going to be mean. And I want you to like give back to me what you feel, what you really mm. feel, not what you think you're supposed to do, but what you really feel. And I said, this is gonna, we're going to make this live, you know. Mm -hmm. And she 
she was so great. She was unbelievable. She trusted me. And I said, let's just give and take. Let's just like, you know, whatever I give you, you give me back, you know, and mm. I'll, I'll build on what you do and blah, blah, blah. So we built this way of working that was so spontaneous and, and you know, give and take really. It's very exciting. It's this, it's like yeah, it's sparks. Very exciting. You can feel the sparks flying yeah, between the two. Yeah, because you also don't know as the mm-hmm. actors what's going to happen next. That's, you know? what, and that's so, what gives that so edge to it. And and the, exactly. two you, the two of you and just the clips I've seen, because I have never seen it live, obviously, yeah. but um, the clips I've seen of you, because I know there's some of Barbara Cook uh, edited in and stuff like that, but in this mm-hmm. case, it's you with Lindsay in um, When Eve Was Weak, uh, that yeah. number. Just, I mean, I have never seen something on video and have the arm, the hair on my arms come up. Yeah. Usually that it doesn't happen so, on video. It was so intense and yeah. we had a real physical fight every night. Wow. Anyway, we rehearsed mm-hmm. by ourselves for a while and then we did our first run through. It was the first time the cast saw what we were doing mm-hmm. stylistically and um, and everybody was you know really moved by it. It was very exciting mm-hmm. and I was so, so, so proud of the work Lindsay and I accomplished on that show and it could have run I mean Mm. the place was packed for the time period that we did the previews and then opened but this German producer had spent all his money in London on the RSC production and he literally was running out of money now the truth everybody says that we got trashed review wise and we did we got some really bad reviews like, for example, the New York Times, Frank Rich, who could make or break a show at that point, sure. he loved Lindsay and I in the show. He, he uh, Lindsay, I'm sorry, I did the wrong grammar. He loved Lindsay and me mm-hmm. in the show. And he, but he couched his review with language that while he absolutely endorsed the work we were doing, it was buried in language that wouldn't let you lift the quote. He mm. was determined that the show would close. And the the wild thing about the show was because of the intensity of the portrait of a, 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 a genuine portrait of an abusive mother-daughter relationship, mm-hmm. you know, because in one scene I'm like, you know, literally violent, like a tigress, you know, stalking around the stage and fighting with her mm-hmm. um, and throwing her into the basement. In the mm-hmm. next scene, I was like this child that was begging for her forgiveness, mm-hmm. which is a dynamic in that True relationship. True psychology, right, you know? of it. Of and the- so, you know, when the show, we got these, we got some great reviews, we got some raves, and then we got these, these really savage reviews as well. And people's responses into the show <laughs> were either they absolutely loved it or they absolutely loathed it. Like, Mm. Uh, we had a brilliant sound guy that I also made, you know, brought into the show when they invited me to do it, uh, named Steve Kennedy, who's the best sound mixer on Broadway. And he's really the reason my performance of memory was, you know, the people loved it because he made me sound that good mm. with his, his, his sound. Like, I can go into a theater, not know he's the sound designer and hear the sound and turn around to the board and see him and know, you know, I could just tell, yeah, because he, Mm. he has the best ears in the business and gives you a resonant pocket to sing in. And I, Mm. you know, I, he was everything in Mm. cats. So, you know, I said, yeah, I'll do Carrie, but with Steve Kennedy. And so similarly, he made me sound really good. So how Prince brought him in to uh, an interview for another show he was doing, because mm-hmm. Steve is very famous, incredible guy. And Hal's like, 
how could you do Carrie? That was terrible. You know, it's one of the worst things I've ever seen. And Steve in his Hawaiian shirt is like, really? I thought it was great. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's such a beautiful score, Betty. And, yeah, and, and, it's you know, a it, it's stunning hard score. Show. I think what's, it's not, there's nothing wrong with the show. I think it's a hard show to do well, to direct well. Uh, it's two shows in one, in a way. You know, there's the high school scenes, and then there's the, the mother-daughter scenes. And they're so different. And you've got to really, that's the dichotomy that well, makes the show interesting. Well, there has to be a stylist, stylistic overview. Yeah. And Terry Hands was not the right is he's yeah. a brilliant he was a brilliant director for RSC but yeah. he didn't he didn't have any understanding of the americana nature of the show oh yes and then then there was a stylistic problem in terms of we were doing one style of work and the high school people yes. were doing another style of work like in passing one of the famous stories about Carrie is somebody said to Terry at a cocktail party before they started was like oh it's like grease meaning the american you know the mm-hmm. musical musical and he thought they were saying Greece, like the country, like Greek, Greek <laughs> drama, right? And so, like uh. his images in the show, so he put everybody in togas in the yeah. high school, and nobody understood why. Yeah. And then he, like, he was a lighting designer, brilliant lighting designer. And so, for example, the gym after she destroys the gym in the scene where I'm coming down the stairs of the in back of the high school gymnasium it was an Aztec staircase a white Aztec staircase with a red rail going down the center of it and it was gorgeous to look at you Mm. know yeah but what did it it really fit right and you know and as you're telling me all this I've got this book right next to me not since Carrie by Ken mm-hmm. Mendelbaum, which is about shows that you know perhaps didn't do so well on Broadway, but were interesting. Right. And he uses Carrie as sort of the linchpin to the whole whole book about what a yeah, brilliantly well, interesting was, movie uh, film. Here was and the, also the show. two point two points I wanted to make was yeah. my brother when when they posted the closing notice. See, so we got these mixed reviews, mm-hmm. and so there was this wonderful guy who was this very rich man named Bruce Mailman who was had the Saint, which was this big gay club downtown Mm -hmm. in fact i sang memory at a new year's party at the saint years and years when i was in cats Mm -hmm. and it was uh, what an experience that was anyway (laughs) uh bruce mailman loved carrie and so he was gonna what they needed was they needed a bunch of money which the Mm -hmm. german producer hadn't allotted for for a pr campaign to push it past the mixed reviews they were not all bad they there were some reviews but we needed a major PR campaign mm. to like market the show mm. so Bruce Melman was coming in with two million dollars to like market that you know to do that because sure. he loved the show and what happened was it was a Saturday I, I can't remember it was we had a matinee and so at the end of the show Dean and Larry and um, uh, Michael were flying back to LA and they came and they told me they said you know we're getting the money we're going to push back we're going to do a big PR campaign Bruce Bellman's bringing us the money and it's all good and then they left and they were flying back to LA by the time we got back to our evening show that day mm. the German producer had posted the closing notice because his advisors got him after the creators left and said you are in debt up to your eyeballs. He'd even like mortgaged his house to Mm -hmm. like get some money to keep it going. And they were like, you can't do this. You have to pull the plug now. So he made the decision to close it the next day, which Mm -hmm. was our final performance. So I literally called my brother 
Norman, I said, Norman, if you want to see this, you got to come. You got to take the red eye and be here to see it. He flies in and he sees the show. And I said, Norman, what is it? Why are people having such extreme responses? Mm. Like, for example, opening night. We finish the show. I, you know, I stab her. She kills me. She crawls down. She sings the last few uh, bars on the Aztec staircase and she dies. <laughs> and then we're choreographed to stand up in the dark. The lights come up, we were to bow, we were to run off stage, uh, you know, mm-hmm. either side of the stage, and then the official bows began. So, we, well, I, she, you know, I stab her, she kills me, she crawls down the stairs, she sings a few notes, she dies. The entire, the lights go out, full blackout, the entire place, like, starts in a universal boo. I've never heard oh. anything like that life and I was like oh my god now little Lindsay who I have this like very close mm-hmm. you know friend uh, cohorts relationship collaborator sure. relationship sure. is terrified she's mm-hmm. 17 mm-hmm. she's done her first her Broadway debut she stopped the show with her first number mm-hmm. my first number also stopped the show mm-hmm. it was like a, it was crazy mayhem in the audience she looks back at me in terror and I and she goes what do I do and I said get up because we have to get out of here. So, <laughs> so we both jump up in the dark. Yeah. We, we, and as soon as the lights came up, it went from this universal booing to a full house standing ovation oh my gosh. instantly. It, that was, it was crazy. crazy. It wow. was like what an experience. Stupid. I mean, and to, I know. to go through that must've been, you know, I mean, cause people always say, Oh, you know, it, you don't always you, the successes are great, but sometimes it's it's nice to be in a show. It can still be a success without it being uh, selling out. Well, kind this of. like this, we would have made it because yeah. I know we would have because people would talk to us in as in, within the show. Mm-hmm. I knew. I thought. I thought if they push this forward, it's going to be like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm. People would come in costume yeah. and talk to us during the show. It was crazy, wow. and I was like. If they push past this, it's going to be like this event. Everybody right. will go to see because it was insane, wow. you know, and, and uh, it was wild. Anyway, we had a great, great, great time. And so... It's a wonderful, uh, wonderful show. And, you know, the, for those that... There's bootlegs out there of listening to, 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 the, to the score uh, for those who want to try to hear it. Uh, but, well, you know, that's... My what, brother said when I asked her, I said, what is it, Norman? And he said, well, you and Lindsay come out and you just open everybody up to their... The, most fundamental primal emotion of mother parent mother daughter or you know parent child relationships and people are out there like viscerally moved and then suddenly the dancing toga kids come on <laughs> That's what I and mean. it yeah. makes no sense and then like and so the director hasn't managed mm-hmm. to care for the audience's emotions through you know the, to help yeah. them recover through the story and then there's like kill the pig and he goes there's like it, there, mm-hmm. it's there it's there's no through line. Right. And Very difficult so, to follow. You know, later, I think um, Savern uh, Arima, you know, found a way to really make it work for for the uh, for Dean and for Michael and for Larry Cohen when they did that revival with Marin Maisie. Oh, um, yes, Marin Maisie off Broadway, right? The off Broadway. It was revival. great. Yeah. You know, I, I thought was it was really good. Line. Yeah, it's hard. You know, it's, it's it's one of those challenging shows, and but what a great experience, and it was so great for us that you were able to sing that score uh, for all those of us that are fans and get to hear your voice. Thank and you. That amazing, Thank you. Uh, amazing 
uh, score. Um, so, um, you know, you've, you've done all these different things. I mean, we, we almost don't have enough time to go over everything. Your career's been way, way too broad, um, and which is a wonderful thing. Thank I you. know you Thank recently you. did the tour of Hello, Dolly, and I know that I um, you were through, you came through D.C., and I didn't get to see the actual, when you came through D.C., and I was so bummed out, um, I didn't get a chance to get a ticket. But then um, one day I was walking through M Street in Georgetown, and I think I saw you doing a, a you know, your pre-show routine of kind of walking or getting exercise. And I saw you on the street and I said, oh, I'm going to, oh, I love Betty Buckley. I'm going to go talk to her. And I said, no, 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 leave Betty Buckley alone. She's got a show tonight. <laughs> She's got a show tonight. That's what went through my head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That, the pre-show routine for that yeah. show was massive every right. day. So I, yeah. I, I, it was just all, it was the moment of just seeing you was, was enough for me. Um, oh, but, that's so sweet. Yeah. I wish you'd said hello next time. <laughs> next time. Now I know. But, um, you know, Betty, this has been wonderful talking to you. I do want to talk before we go. We have to wrap up soon. But I just wanted to talk a bit uh, before we go more about your online master classes. You talked a bit about them. You know, what is it that you want young people to know since you are now teaching a whole, you've been teaching for 40 years, but now are continuing to teach a younger generation as they're interested in musical theater and they're coming up as theater folk. You know, what, what do you want them to know that you wish you had known back then when you were, you know, uh, the, the young young girl arriving in New York City. I mean, is there some, something out there that, if there's someone who's interested in doing what you do, how do they get started and what part of the master class, you know, uh, how does that connect with the master class you're teaching online? Well, I teach meditation and a universal spiritual philosophy as the means mm. for, for one, learning to focus your mind in a one-pointed way because as my teacher told me, Paul Gabbard, who I studied with for 19 and a half years, he said, you know, exquisite storytelling is exquisite singing and exquisite storytelling is about exquisite focus and so you have to know how to really focus in a one-pointed way and learn how to stay very relaxed inside of a huge amount of adrenaline mm. and so that's the the first step you know is to do employ this practice of meditation so you can learn how to choose your thoughts to be and train your mind to be supportive to what you're attempting and to be a collaborator not a critic and not to externalize your your you know we all have an inner critic and an inner voice that is very judgmental of ourselves and others and so a meditative philosophy requires non-judgment you know mm. of yourself and other, other others i mean on the on the other hand you have to learn to just discriminate to learn how to discriminate between what works and what doesn't work so that's basically fundamentally what I teach and I teach I teach them a process of working that isn't does not start with performance it starts with a very um, intimate process of building a relationship with a song or a character the way you would build a relationship with a friend or a, a loved one you take your time you know, you get mm. to know yourself in that circumstance and bring yourself to it. I also pe encourage people, except as a reference, you know, not to imitate what went before in terms of shows that mm. have already been done, but to find who they are in mm. the material. And that's mm. a process, and some people have the patience for that process. And some people, like a certain, I was teaching last night, and 
had this wonderful group of students on Thursday nights and um, alumni students and then an, another group on Tuesday nights and I, they've all studied with me for a long time and then my Wednesday classes for the newcomers and it usually takes about three classes for the newcomers to start to get what they're learning about process because it's all about process and mm-hmm. gentle process and, and patience but then as we go along over a period of time you reach a point of frustration and boredom and I teach them mm-hmm. guys frustration is a high state boredom is an even higher state and if you persevere through those states Mm -hmm. then you come to a breakthrough Mm -hmm. so I was noticing in the past couple of classes boredom and frustration in that order and or frustration and then boredom in that order and I'm like come on stay with it you know because you're almost there we're almost there and so yeah it's just it's so much fun I like you know I like working on music and stories and character work it's like you know, doing all this little detail work, tiny, tiny details, and then suddenly there's this, like, you know, even almost like it's a portrait, and you just do it brush stroke at a time, mm. or a piece of big tapestry that you do needlepoint with, which is just one stitch at a time. Ultimately, it becomes almost like a little movie that runs mm-hmm. in front of my mind's eye, and I just watch the movie and allow myself a spontaneous response to it. You know, wow. there's like a map, mm-hmm. A to B to C to D to E to F, but how you get from A to B to C to D to E to F isn't fresh each time because of the quality of the focus of the meditation and allowing your soul literally to show up. You know, so yeah, I, I, I believe in that. I don't believe in the uh, imitative cookie-cutter thing of young Broadway mm-hmm. Um you know, I don't, I, I, I find that not fresh. Right. I mean, the, the people themselves are fresh and beautiful and sing great, but, you know, I, I want to see truth on stage and that's what I committed myself to learn how to do, which is no, no easy thing. Mm. And then that's what I teach. So that's what you're passing on to this whole new generation, you know, and it sounds fantastic. And if people want to uh, take your class, is it a, simply a matter of registering online and maybe getting on a wait list? Yes. I don't know, on Betty you Buckley? You go to the T. Schreiber Studio. Oh, okay. And uh, there, you know, there it's T.S. Studio on Twitter and uh, okay. T. Schreiber Studio on Facebook. And Sally Dunn is mm-hmm. the manager of the school. And you just, you call Sally or email Sally and tell her you're interested. And she tells you the, mm-hmm. sorry, the details and, and how it can works. Get, and people can get more details on your website too on BettyBuckley.com. There's some information there more about your class your online class if students want to learn about it and find out more about taking your class. It sounds fascinating. There's a student of yours who, who said about your teaching, Betty Buckley lowered the drawbridge to the method that makes her one of the greatest storytellers in musical theater history. She's more than an expert teacher. She's a spiritual guide, Jedi, and lighthouse who transformed me into a better actor, better teacher, and most importantly, better human. What, Whoa, what an endorsement! Nice. What an endorsement! I'm kidding. I mean, Who I, wrote I, that? I don't know, but I love the Jedi part. I think that's yeah, the I best like that part. Too. You are kind of, you know, <laughs> Betty. As I'm talking to you today, what I'm getting is you are sort of, you know, a spiritual guide and a Jedi as well for those of us in the audience, as well as those people on stage that are going to be telling us Thank the stories. You. I so, like it. Thank yeah. you. I like being called a Jedi. <laughs> I've had such a blast talking to you. Thank you so much. It's been Thank such a you. wonderful time on American it's, Theater it's Artists. It's been Online. a pleasure. I, you know, some of these stories I've told before, but. 
you know, it's always fun to remember stuff. So thank you. And thank you for spending the time with us today on American Theatre Artists Online. And we will be following uh, you on, I know on social media, you're very active on Twitter, on Facebook, and or, or Twitter and Instagram, I think, or, or, or where I found you. I've seen you more. Most yeah. I remember years ago, I wrote something. I don't even remember what I posted or wrote, and you liked it. And it changed my oh, world. Sweet. So thank you for you're liking it. You're sweet. Thank you so much. <laughs> I forgot what I'm I posted. Glad, <laughs> I'm glad Rupert told me to, to talk to you. You're, yeah. you're fun. I had a lot of thank fun you. talking to you too, Betty. Thank you yeah. so much. And we'll be looking forward to, to more from you soon. Um, I still remember you singing The Times, They Are a Changin' in your concert. And it was right after President Obama had been elected. And I got to see you at the Kennedy Center. And oh, because I'm in D.C., and uh, talk about the hairs on my on my arm going up, the intention, the, the thought. So thank you for that. I really mean it with the bottom Thanks of my heart. Thanks so much. Thank you for all Take of that. Take care. Have a great time. Bye-bye. Have a great Thanks. day. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to the American Theatre Artists Online podcast. This episode was edited by Zach Walsh. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. If you'd like to share your feedback or send us comments, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at American Theatre Artists Online.